On this episode of Eager to Know, keeping the right brain and the left brain moving forward, and the best thing a fan ever said to my guest. We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. Allie Pleiter is a speaker, coach, and best-selling author of over 40 books. She is also a creativity and productivity expert who helps creative people be more productive and business people be more creative. A small programming note, the audio on this episode sounds a bit different than usual because it was not recorded in my usual studio. So you do two things. One of them that is highly creative And the other one is one that I would consider not so creative. Can you tell me a little bit about those two things? Yeah, it is a little bit of right brain, left brain. Um, I work work full time as a writer, so I work primarily in fiction, but I also have figured out how to be consistently productive and prolific as a writer, which is becoming more of an important skill in publishing. And I teach other creatives writers who have to write full-time or sometimes business people who have to write as part of their job now they're creating a blog i teach them how to write well and regularly okay now is that a skill that you always had or is that a skill that you were forced to learn a little bit of both Um, i think i'm one of those people who thinks uh, analytically and task oriented i'm a natural list maker so that helps. I can but relate. Also, yeah, I can very, very the, much relate. The idea of having to meet a deadline and meet a deadline without turning yourself inside out emotionally and stress-based, uh, it, it's just a part of being a writer. And I watched myself and a lot of other people not taking really cognitive, deliberate steps to meet their deadline well and began to produce this system. And I thought it came naturally to everybody. And as I started talking to other writers who go, how do you do what you do? And I started to explain it to them in a way that made sense to a writer, not necessarily to an engineer or a scientist. Then I realized I was sort of onto something and it was a it was a system and a skill and an attitude that other writers needed to learn. So I started teaching it. Okay, so you mentioned that it's something that is Is it a system that is geared more towards creative people? It is. The easiest way to explain it, because I have an engineering husband, is it's project management for writers. Okay. It's taking the long-term goal of getting the book written and breaking it down into steps and, um, and processes that make sense for how you write, how you create. It's called the chunky method, and the idea is that every writer has a chunk. And their chunk is how much, if I sat you down in the perfect environment and said, go off and write, you probably, even though you don't think you would, you probably will sit down and write almost the same amount of words. You're incredibly, your our imaginations are incredibly consistent. We think they're not, but they really are. And once you figure out what your chunk is, say you write 600 words before you sort of run out of juice or you write a thousand words or what have you. Once you know what that chunk is, then you could use that to create um, a, a process and a system and even a timetable for getting to your due date in a way that actually makes sense for how you write. So it keeps you from doing the, uh, the last minute. Hmm. So, what you're, so what you're saying is that we sort of have a set point for the, uh, each of us of how much creativity we can produce. And we sort of, I'm, I'm summarizing your process exactly, without yeah. knowing, but basically once we understand what our, our set point is, 
uh, what that chunk is, then we can manage it better. Yes, and you can manage it in a way that will be not only good for your muse and your creativity, but hopefully less stress for you and everybody else around you. This sounds amazing, and I think I need you. To, I need to introduce you to my painter friends because I think this system could be applicable to them. So I want to talk about the the other thing that you do, mm -hmm. which is creativity and and writing. I am not a writer, and I don't know a lot about that um, about that creative process. Can you tell me about how you got there? Well, I didn't start out to be a writer. I actually was a theater major. Uh, I wanted to be in television, and I quickly learned that being six feet tall is actually uh, not a good thing in television, it particularly was. if you're female. I, I would not have thought that. I thought that like being tall and... Yeah, no. Okay. Really. Um, and then I, so I went from acting to directing and from directing to producing and from producing to fundraising. And that's where I really started writing and learning how to tell a story. And uh, a friend of mine basically dared me to write a book one day. And I did it just because you don't dare me to do something unless you really want me to do it. And it turned into a career. And that was 42 books ago. So I'm one of those people who will say if somebody who knows you well dares you to do something that feels out of your comfort zone, Unless it's dangerous, do it. Do it. Okay. That is that is good advice. <laughs> I hope so. So storytelling. Mm -hmm. So this idea of storytelling, it did that is that something that you had in you and it was being expressed in other ways when you were a theater major? Uh, like how did that how did that evolve and come about to be something that you really honed? Yeah, I think having the theater background is a huge asset for a writer. We have a tremendous sense of scene and, and, and the structure of a scene and what makes something dramatic. We have a great sense for dialogue and ear um, and a good sense for drama. Uh, and quite frankly, there aren't a lot of extroverts in the literary world. So being able to get up and talk to people uh, when you're an author is a huge asset. So to me, it was the perfect marriage of, and I do fiction and nonfiction, but the fiction is really where the theater major in me gets to come out and play. Interesting. You know, I never really thought about theater as it relates to writing, but it reminds me of a correlation you have between like drawing and painting are kind of all part of the same thing. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a kind of similar idea that one is sort of an extension or uh, the other side of the coin of the other. Yeah, I never, I never saw myself as a writer, but I've always been a storyteller. Mm. And really the writing part of the craft part can be taught and learned. Yeah. It's the storytelling that's the natural talent. Uh, and so being able to tell a story in a way that's really compelling is something that I think grew up out of my theater roots. Okay, so that means so that really gets into the creative part of this, which is the storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure everybody asks you this question, but where do you come up with your ideas? Do they do you have to force them? Do they just come up? Do they get inspired by people that you meet? Well, you're right. Everybody asks me that. Um, the short answer is I don't think about it too much. I, I don't want to mess with the magic. Yeah. Um, but it's usually the, the best way to describe it. The metaphor I use is it's like pulling a snag on a sweater. I'll start with one stitch and I'll pull on it. And that'll lead me someplace else. And I'll pull on it. And that'll lead me someplace else. And then eventually you learn enough about story structure that it becomes natural to your thought process. But it usually starts with a what if of some kind. And a, a what if? A what, what, if. Do you, what do you mean a what if? What if you lost, like one of the books was, what if you lost um, a member of your family on September 12th, 2001? 
Remember, September 11th was a huge day. Yeah. What if you had a personal tragedy the day after? Mm. Um, so it's that kind of emotional what if, and then you start and you build a story from there. Um, but I try not to think about it too much. I try not to mess with it, except for the structure and to know what's important in publishing, what's you know what what the market is looking right. for. You what try are... to marry those two things like every artist does. Ab- absolutely. So, so do you ever get inspired by real life situations that you observed? And the reason why I ask this is someone told me a story that I thought would be an absolute amazing screenplay. <laughs> and I'm not going to disclose what it is because I'm saving it up, but it was incredible. And I have shared it with a few people and they're like, yeah, I think that this has legs. Now, of course, I know nothing about any of this process, but do you ever have a similar situation where you hear a real story and you're like, wow, that actually could be the nugget for a real story? I might pull a nugget from it. It's okay. usually, it's usually, like I said, it's bits and pieces. More often than not, I'll meet somebody and I think they're a fascinating character. And I'll, I'll try to sort of dissect what it is I find fascinating about them and build that into another character and think, all right, what kind of situation would make that character have to change dramatically or transform? So for me, it starts more from people that I meet than actual situations. But anything can be story fodder, really, just about anything. Okay. I have some tactical questions about the writing process. Um, do you work on one story at a time or do you work on multiples? Well, I work in a particular field called category romance. So those little books that you see in the grocery store from Harlequin or other places Mm. like that. And because those are so many per year, I'm always working on four books at a time. And that's specific to what I do. Okay, so that sort of was a catalyst for your system probably. Yeah, but even if you're doing what's called single title, which is what most people think of when you go into like a bookstore and you reach onto a shelf, you pick up a hardcover, that's a single title. The expectation these days in publishing is that a, a good working author produces those about every nine months. Okay. So that means you're writing, you're actively writing one, you're probably editing another one, you're formulating a third, and you're selling the one on the market. So oh. it's a it's it's almost project management where you you're working in a lot of fields. There's a lot of plates that you're spinning. So do you feel like you're using different parts of your brain during each of those different phases? Yes and no. Um, I'm using the analytical part to coordinate all of it so that yeah. they fit together in a way, but most of them are creative processes. So okay. it's still, it's, it's a big mix of left brain, right brain. Yeah. So I know um, oftentimes, uh, although currently I'm not using this strategy right now, but in, the, but in the past I would usually work on multiple paintings at the same time so that I could because I use different parts of my brain during different phases because one of them is like the sketching and it's kind of big picture and then it ultimately gets down into the details of the painting and those are very distinct parts of your brain in the same way I used to be a project manager in the same way that different um, parts of the project planning running execution and wrap up those all use different parts of your brain so um, I would try to do kind of like you just said where you would have multiples and uh, but the reason why I would do it so that if I was in a whatever kind of mood I was in during a particular day or part of the day, I would find a painting that was in that phase that played to that mood or feeling that I had. So are you worried about someone like Annie Wilkes coming after you? No, um, I've never had that happen. The closest thing that I've had is I'll have someone who is upset because they feel that I've gotten a detail wrong. 
Um, okay. I've got letters for really picking details in them. Okay, got that. Uh, nine times out of ten, people are usually really lovely, and when they communicate with you, they're telling you about how that story touched them. My very, very favorite fan letter, because I write faith-based fiction, was one sentence, and she said, you made me late for church. Oh, and okay. I thought, well, there's no higher praise, right? Wow. So, so what is what is faith-based fiction? Does that mean that um, religion has a part in the in the plot? Exactly. It's um, Now, some of the nonfiction that I do and the mysteries that I do don't have that tenet, but um, Love Inspired is the faith-based arm of Harlequin romance. So all of the stories not only have a romantic arc where the hero and the heroine meet each other and, and then decide they're terrible for each other and hate each other and then before they finally get their happy ending, but also there's a spiritual component in that each character grows spiritually uh, and I'm a person of faith, so that's a great way to express that. And uh, I just really love having all three of those twines to put together for a story. And it means that uh, it means that I have really wonderful fans who interact with me not only on a story and a romance level for the story of the lovers beating each other, but what they learned from it spiritually. So it's very satisfying for me. Yeah, that sounds it. That I, it doesn't sound like there are a lot of jobs that people have people who are a person of faith where they could use that in in what they do for a living and certainly not in a in something that's creative it's an amazing reach this year i celebrated my 1.4 million books sold around the world so to think that there are 1.4 million people who've who've hopefully had a positive experience and experience that was fulfilling for them not only as entertainment but from a spiritual standpoint, there's just no better thing to be thinking about spending all my life doing. Wow, that is, that's good to hear. We need more good in the world, don't you think? Yeah. We need more happy stories. Yeah, def- <laughs> definitely. So I assume all of them, I'm sure they take a dark turn, but um, they all ha- would have a more positive resolution at the end yes the requirement for romance is that you get that happy ending people who want to pick up a romance are looking for that happy ending i've also written some mysteries so i do have a and those don't have the faith base they tend to be a little darker obviously because i'm killing off people um they all get their justice and their comeuppance so there's that so you're kind of like jessica fletcher (laughs) i hope i'm a little bit of everything (laughs) so in what you do you're definitely using your creative skills, but also your analytic skills to move things forward. Can you just tell me about that? Because that seems like that is important for really whether you're in a non-creative role to use more creativity or if you're in a creative job to use more of these analytic skills. Can you tell me about how you see those two working together? Well, the thing I like to tell people is that I help creative people be more productive and productive people be more creative. Because a lot of times we think that those are separate skill sets. Okay. And creative people need the framework to be more productive, to be more consistent in their productivity. Because a lot of times creative people will only think that they must depend on purely inspiration. Yeah. And inspiration's great, but inspiration needs to show up every day for it to really work. And then creative uh, people who are really productive they sometimes forget to bring a sense of imagination, to bring a sense of how else could I do this? That Mm. sense of what if, they forget to do that. And the thing that I'm finding is that um, even productive people and people outside of creative fields, these days, it's such a content-driven marketplace that they're being asked to communicate and write or speak and create content in ways that they never were before. And they don't know how to do it. 
So that's why I feel like my role, both in my writing and in the, the consulting and the coaching and the teaching that I do, is to marry both worlds, to be creative in how you do something that maybe feels a little bit more left brain, but to also bring a sense of structure that'll that won't it won't um, it won't squash your creativity. It'll actually undergird it and make it better. So this is really what this podcast is all about. Is basically what you were just saying. So my friend Brad Leslie, who was on this podcast, you know, he had made a statement when he was on the podcast about if he waited to inspire to show up, like he wouldn't be showing up very often. And that kind of relates to, some, you know, something that you had just previously said. So let's talk about your creativity and productivity coaching business. That's uh, I've worked with like life coaches before and I have friends that are life coaches. Um, and but what you do sounds very specific and very interesting. It is very specific, but then again, it's also a much broader audience in that um, I'll work with writers who need to get themselves on a good structure. Um, writers are being asked to be way more prolific than we ever used to be. And for some people that comes naturally and for other people they don't. So sometimes I'm helping a writer write more books in a shorter amount of time. Sometimes I'm working with a writer to help them get that book where they've been toying with the idea for five years and they're making no progress and they just need someone to sit down and say, here's the path forward based on what your chunk is. And we'll figure out what their chunk is, however many words they write naturally. Figure out, all right, how do you use that chunk to build a path to a full book? That's one kind of coaching. But the other one that's almost more exciting for me are all the people who are now being asked to create content as part of their jobs. Consultants, um, people who are creating blogs that never used to have to create blogs for their marketing. They're now having to create words and content and, and even speakers. I do a lot of public speaking and I work with speakers who now need to write either a blog or a book or what have you. And they need to figure out how to work that creative piece into their day. They don't want to do a ghostwriter. They really want to be the person. She's and honestly, I really think that's the best case. You are always the best author of your book. Yeah. So I'll sit down with them and say, all right, what, do you, what it is that you want to do? Let's figure out what the natural speed of your creativity mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give you a perfect example. I work with a business consultant who was asked to write a blog. Okay. Well, blogs are like 800 words or what have you. We figured out he was a big chunk writer, so he didn't like writing small chunks because blogs are daily things. Yeah. So he decided to sit down and write every day. Yeah. It didn't work for his system because he was a big chunk writer. He was far better off sitting down twice a month for a whole day and writing four yeah, blogs. And writing everything, yep, okay. And so I helped him figure that out, mm. and that's really fascinating and tremendously gratifying for me. Okay, so you're part project management consulting and part psychologist a little bit. Oh, maybe life coach is safer to say. Okay. I'm basically helping people, helping creative people be more productive and productive people be more creative. Okay, great. So people that are listening, are there a couple pieces of advice or guidance that you, you can give them to help them to become more creative or more productive? Well, for writers, I would say to really sit down and figure out what that creative chunk is. What's that gas tank? If you sit down and figure out, I write, and then at a certain point, we think of it, a lot of writers think of it as writer's block, but it's not. You're really just sort of at the end of your gas tank. Yeah. Um, so figure out what that is so that you can then build how many times you need to sit down to write. Mm -hmm. And from a, from a productive standpoint, um, realize that writing takes a particular kind of energy. Okay. And so you want to tap into that. You want to get yourself into a place 
where that energy works best. Yeah. Um, some people work terrific in silence. Some people have to work uh, a lot, uh, like sort of away somewhere where they can't be around. Other people need to be around people. So part of what I do is figure out what is your natural creativity style and how do we wield that so that you're not working against it? Because that would be my other big tip is don't work against your style. It it never comes out well. Yeah. It feels forced and you can, almost everybody can tell. Yeah. That's great advice, and I definitely can relate to... Well, first of all, the fact that we have this gas tank makes me feel better because yes. I I kind of thought I had this creative block, and what you're saying makes perfect sense, that I have a limited amount each day that I can use some day. Sometimes, the, some days, the tank is bigger, some days it's smaller, but it definitely runs out. And it's not like a job where I'm doing email schedules exactly. and spreadsheets where you mm-hmm. can force it. You can't force it, at least, or if I force it, it really ruins the output of what I'm trying trying to do. The other thing that you mentioned that I definitely can relate to and I adhere to is um, I get up and I do all of my painting early in the morning because that's where it works the best for me. That my creative environment is really five in the morning as I'm having my first cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. So I will wake up, I'll set the alarm early, I'll wake up, and I will go right to the studio and have my coffee there. And as I am awakening to the to the world, that's where all of the creativity is coming. I can access those parts of my brain that allow me to express myself on the canvas. So I can definitely relate to that. So I, I so I don't need that part of your consultation <laughs> consultation services, but I definitely need the first one. Well, and then I would take someone who has that awareness and plot out how are we going to get to your goal? How are we going to get to the end of that book or that blog series or what have you? I love to, particularly when I work with writers who maybe have a smaller chunk. When I first started writing, my chunk was like 600 words. That's all I could do. And it was so easy to feel like I wasn't dedicated or I wasn't talented or I wasn't writing every day. Therefore, how could I have been serious? Yeah. When in fact, that was my life. That was my style. And once I plotted with that real with that reality, then I became so much more productive because I was working within my natural style. And now I write a lot more than 600 words a day. So there's ways to grow it. Yeah. But if you try to put yourself into somebody else's box, uh, and say that only people who write this way are serious and talented and saleable. Oh, they couldn't be more wrong in my perspective. Okay, great. So I think that this system that you're describing, it sounds like it's extensible to a lot of other areas of you know, human behavior and jobs. Uh, would you agree yeah. with me? I do. I'm starting to learn. Um, I had a, a, a military base ask me to teach it to their Corps of Engineers. So it's been really fun to see the other pieces of not just creative, but anybody who has to produce to take a look at the chunky or chunking or the chunky method or just doing anything in reasonable steps. Yeah. Um, it's been really fun in the last two years to have people in other fields come to me and say, can you adapt what you do to what we do? And, and then to see that light bulb go off and someone go, oh, that's why I hate it when you interrupt me. Or that's why I can't uh, like gun for a deadline and stay up all night or, or you know, do that sort of last minute scramble. Yeah. That's why I can't do that. And to watch that light bulb go off is just, it's a great moment for me. It's really what keeps me going. Oh, that's great. That sounds like that would be really amazing. It is. It's a lot of fun. So I'm glad, so glad that I met you. That's and perfect. <laughs> I'm so glad that I met you and we were able to have this conversation. 
So where can people find more information about you and about your consulting? Well, the place to find out about everything, all the books and the consulting and everything else is AlliePleiter.com. So that's A-L-L-I-E-P-L-E-I-T-E-R.com. Or if you, if you Google the Chunky Method, you'll get there too. But um, that's usually the place where you can find out about all the books that I write and the coaching. And I do a lot of public speaking as well. So that's a good place to start. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad that I ran into you and that you were able to take time out of your schedule to have this conversation. Um, I really enjoyed this, and I think that it is really relevant to people that are listening to my podcast. It's been a great pleasure. My name is Ricky McGeckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast.